0: Hello and welcome to the third episode of Cargofield Talks. At a time when we can't welcome parents to our school site and communicate as much as we normally do, we hope to share some of our expertise and tackle some of the issues that are facing children and parents in the age range of our school. That's for three to 13 year olds. My name's Rob Taylor and I'm the headmaster of Cargofield School. We're based in Barnton to the northwest edge of Edinburgh. We are about to celebrate our one hundred and fiftieth anniversary, and over this time our school has developed into one of the leading prep schools in Scotland and the north of England. For this, the third of our podcasts, we are going to be looking at issues surrounding reading: how to teach children to read, how to encourage them to develop their skills, and to have a lifelong pleasure. Now you would imagine that as a teacher of English for well, nearly thirty years, and a headmaster of a junior school for coming up to thirteen years, I would have a clear idea of exactly how children learn to read. After all, I've also watched three of my own children develop the skill, and yet this was never something that featured in my own teacher training. And I suppose that I've watched with wonder from afar as young children start to recognise the strange patterns of our alphabet and bring these together to make sounds, and then to elicit meaning. It has also prompted me to wonder at the miracle of how children learn, and how they make sense of this apparently very complex task. I was therefore especially excited when I got together with Anne Fidello and Vin Parker, the two primary one teachers at Cargofield, each with their own extensive experience of developing children's reading at different stages, and I invited them to share their thoughts on the matter. I started by asking Anne how and when parents should start children with books and reading.
1: As early as possible, we'd say just as soon as the children can sit still or lie still, I can't stress the importance of bedtime stories when everybody's snuggled up and happy and just to develop a love of reading and listening to stories at that point. Um, Children, when they're little, can have bath time books or they can have books they can chew, they can have cloth books, but anything that tells a story that has pictures in it and uh, it's a lovely time to share a story together with mom or dad or granny or brothers or sisters. The children love looking at the pictures and we can talk about the pictures and they love rhyming, they love repeating parts of the story, they love discussing what people are doing, what the characters are doing in the pictures. And just talk about what you read with your child, point things out and try to show them the difference eventually between the words and the letters and the pictures. So children will read the pictures and eventually you can show them that the, the, the little marks on the page mean something as well, get the children to hold the books for themselves, let them see the physical process of moving from the beginning of the book to the end of the book and we'd expect most of that to be done by the time the children come into primary one but lots of children come in at different levels, some haven't held books, some are reading quite fluently by then so um, at any stage that they come in is valuable for us.
0: That's great. And, and so what's, what's the process when children do arrive in primary one at Cargofield? How, how, how do you make a start with them?
2: What we do is start off by trying, going through the, um, the sounds, all the, the sounds that they're going to use in their reading, and we teach them one by one. So each day we'd have a new sound and we teach that sound and we do lots of stories and actions and songs, all to do with the one sound. And gradually... The children learn all the sounds that they're going to need when they're reading and we teach them how to blend the sounds together to be able to read the words. We've got a great scheme that we use called Jolly Phonics, which is really good because it's very, very active. Lots of tiny little steps and lots and lots of repetition. So that's the scheme that we mainly follow at school.
0: Interestingly, I seem to remember when I was young that I used to have a little little word tin that I used to have to read words from a tin. That's obviously not something that happens very much anymore.
2: Well, we do still have the tins and we do still use them when we send them home with the sounds that we're learning. And as the children pick up those sounds, we find that when when they're reading their books, occasionally they'll come across words which we'd like them to be able to read, but they, they haven't got enough phonic knowledge to be able to do that yet. So we call them tricky words because at this stage, they just have to learn to read them by sight. We call them tricky things like was, where if a child was trying to read it, they'd sound out w-a-s. And yet, obviously, it, it's not that when you blend it together. So we do still use word tins, but not as much as might have been used before, perhaps.
0: And at what point does w-a-s start to become w-a-s?
2: Well, that, that, as that's one of the tricky words, then it's, it's a sort of look and say technique to learning it so that when they see it, they know that that pattern of, of letters says the word was. So they learn that some words, the tricky words, they just have to learn what it says rather than trying to blend them.
0: Right. OK. Interesting. And how do, do parents help in this process? I mean, how can parents best help?
1: We give the children little um, sounds and words to practice at school, and if they can practice those at home with their parents at night or with adults at night at home, that really helps us a lot because the children become more confident with these letters and sounds. Um, when they're on to reading books, they can read every night with an adult at home. And um, we start with just picture books. There's only pictures. And then we add one or two words on each page. And eventually there's a few words in each page. And we give them lots and lots of books. So they feel they're reading lots of books. And they show them to visitors and grandparents and so on. So they become very confident. Parents can practice their sounds with them every night. And then eventually blending sounds together. at to make the word cat So parents can do lots at home with individual words and with the storybooks.
0: And does the reading process, is it just contained with books? Or do do you find that they're learning to read sort of as they're going around about during their day?
2: The wonderful thing about when the children start to read is that they'll be out with their parents and they'll suddenly start noticing letters that they know. So they'll suddenly start pointing out, say, you know, that's mummy's letter or that's, you know, the sister's letter. And so they sort of all the words around them in the environment, they suddenly realise they can start to read them. They can start to recognise those letters and that they're relevant to them as well.
0: That, that must be very exciting. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's great. It's great when, it, when they really start to take off, they, they just zoom, they just fly with it. When they work out this concept of a, a shape, a black shape in front of them is actually a sound and they can read it. It's fantastic.
0: I, I wonder, for, for some parents, is there ever anxiety because they, they're they concerned that their child isn't seeming to develop as, as fast as others, or as quickly as, as they think they ought to?
1: They don't need to worry at all, because we, we take the children on from wherever they are when they arrive at school, so if, there's, if they haven't read anything at all, then we'll progress them from there. If they've started reading already at home, then we'll work with that and take them on further. If they're struggling a little bit we'll notice before, parents do usually and we'll have some intervention with some extra practice with their sounds and their letters and with uh, learning short words. And children all learn at different levels. I've had children that have learned to read at three, children who don't learn to read until they're eight. But by the time they're further up the school when they're 10 or so, it doesn't matter when they've started reading, they'll all be reading by the age of 10. Um, When you're working with your child at home, just find the right time, not a stressful time, not a time when you're rushed try not to read in the car in the morning on the way to school just find a quiet happy time where you can read together if they don't feel like reading one night don't force it just let the teachers know that they didn't really feel like it and we'll do some the next night or do some extra work in school um, think of the kind of books your child enjoys uh, maybe factual books lots of children love guinness book of records that sort of thing and lots of children only enjoy fantasy stories and remember that some countries children don't start to read at all until they're at least seven. So uh, they, they, there's no such thing as a right time to learn to read. Your, different, your, your children would learn to read at different speeds. Your own children, maybe children in the same family, some don't read until they're seven or eight and some will learn to read before they start school. So just please don't stress about it. We will take care of it.
0: And finally, what what would you say that we do particularly well at Cargill? You've both taught in a number of schools. What would you say that we do well in terms of teaching the children to read?
2: We we place a great emphasis on learning to read and teaching them phonics. So we we give lots and lots of time we spend when the children first arrive with us, actually getting them ready for reading, getting them interested in reading and getting them excited about learning to read. We've got lots and lots of adult support in the classroom with us, so we can put them into tiny, tiny groups and really focus on what each child needs to take that next step with their reading. Um, we've got uh, lots and lots of of resources to use, I and mean, we've built, built up huge amount bookshelves full of resources um, over the years. So there's always something that's at exactly the right level just for that child to make a tiny, tiny little step. And we give them lots and lots of positive praise and awards and recognition for the fact that they're doing something really amazing. And they get very excited about it.
0: Fantastic. Vin, and it's so lovely to hear your (laughs) thoughts on this. Thank you very much for joining me and um, keep going. Well done. Thanks for all you're doing for our children. Once children are able to move on to selecting their own books, there seems to be nothing to stop them. And very few children, in my experience, fail to be excited by this newly found freedom. There can, however, then be a phase where books and reading lose their wonder. Perhaps for children at the age of seven to ten. And sadly, this can become habit forming for the rest of their childhood and even their adult life. I know that this is something that exercises many parents and also teachers, as they struggle to understand why children do not share their own love of books and their own pleasure at turning pages and following a story or a particular train of thought. I wonder as well whether this has become an increasing concern. And I've discovered just by some simple research that the number of books sold in the United Kingdom has decreased significantly over the last decade, dropping from over 300 million texts in 2009 to just over 191 million in 2019. That said, 2020 marked the first time since 2012 that book sales in the UK had gone up, surpassing 200 million books sold nationwide that year. Recent figures have also suggested that the period of lockdown saw a significant return to the reading of fiction. And sales for children's books throughout this decade have been at worst relatively stable and possibly even showing a reasonable growth. Indeed, one survey suggested sales of children's books had gone up from £333 million in 2009 to £389 million in 2019. The situation with libraries is perhaps more of a cause for concern. The use of public libraries in the UK is now 70% less than it was in 2000, and for that reason, public authorities are withdrawing funding, library services declining further, and more libraries, sadly, are being closed. In the United Kingdom, some 800 public libraries, and that's more than a quarter of the libraries once in service have closed in the past 10 years. That said, it has never been easier to find a book. Picking up books at the click of a button, including second-hand books for the cost of little more than postage and packing, make getting hold of a book all that much easier. Just as it becomes more easy, though, the choice of other forms of entertainment with, one might say, more immediate rewards, be it sophisticated computer games, television box sets or film on demand these things are becoming easier to access how then can books compete in this environment well here at cargofield we believe they can one of the favourite days of the year at school is the cargofield book festival and this isn't just about dressing up for the day the children enjoy the visits of authors of storytellers and book illustrators who come to talk about their work and one of our favourites is Reading in Strange Places, where we explore unusual parts of the school in which we can tell a story to the children. When authors like Abby Elphinstone talk to the children, they can't wait to lay hands on her books. The truth is that we all know the magic of a story, whether reading to yourself or having it read to you. The first activity on my teacher training course was my group of potential teachers sitting and hearing a story being read to them by our lecturer. We were, I'll be honest, all a bit surprised at first, but it reminded us of how much we enjoyed the experience. And the message to us, never forget to read to your children. And I have to say, it's the one lesson that has never failed in 30 years of teaching. But how do we capture the more reluctant reader. I sat down with David Walker, Cargerfield's assistant headmaster, and Angeli Dallarkia, our academic deputy head. And between them, they are the English teachers to our Form 5 children. That's those children aged nine and turning ten. They had lots of thoughts about encouraging children to read. And that was the first question that I put to them.
3: Well, I think it all starts at home, to be honest. Having lots of books accessible around the house, bookshelves, sort of overflowing with different type of books and a coffee table, bedrooms. Children just need a, a quiet place at home to be encouraged to read, I think. And that is obviously before bedtime. Uh, regular bedtime stories, I think, is really good, whether whether that's um, a book the child can read themselves or something a bit more advanced, which they'll enjoy. That storyline, I think, is important. I think having that sort of phone-free environment for parents as well. I think I think we all we all love reading, right? especially during lockdown. Uh, we've all enjoyed picking up books more often and putting the phone away as we've been on a screen and just having a dedicated half an hour slot for reading and talking to your child about what they're reading to sort of test their comprehension and talk about characters and that sort of thing in a book. I think it's really important. So not just passive reading, make it sort of interactive and talk about books.
0: You wouldn't say that a sort of bedtime story is, is simply the preserve of much younger children?
3: Oh, no, no. I, I, the, my son at the moment, he loves reading to me. So as well as me reading him a bedtime story, he will read us a sort of bedtime story or an early evening story and reading out loud and changing voices for characters and that sort of thing. I think it's, it's a fantastic thing to do.
4: I think as well that all reading is good reading. So if you don't have time one day to have a dedicated half an hour, that's okay. Reading cereal packets, reading leaflets, talking about what you're reading explaining what they mean is is all engaging with reading and i think children like to do that they like to understand what all these things are around them so you know that kind of thing is really positive
3: as well i'd say boys in particular uh, are often tagged with being reluctant readers and they can be a little bit slow slower than girls to to get started but you know reading be it the bino sports biographies non-fiction books, I think that's really important as well, exposing them to different genre.
4: Yeah, I agree. And I think at school, they get a lot of different things coming at them. And we read a lot of fiction in class. We also have dedicated reading periods every day in school. So there's a lot coming at them. If they choose at home to read a book about sharks, or they've got a particular interest in, I don't know, insects or something, that's great.
3: Our new timetable that we've been operating on where teachers at the moment are sort of taking reading in, in classrooms has actually provided a really good opportunity for, for teachers to set that example to the children and get their own books out for 10, 15 minutes and be positive role models. I think that's really been a real uh, bonus of our of changing our daily routine at the moment.
0: I can imagine that many parents would ask the question, what else they can be doing to encourage reading within their family? You've made some suggestions. Do you have any other thoughts?
4: I think going out and about. So bookshops are reopening. There's some in Edinburgh which positively encourage you to come in. Some of them have reading sessions with children and things like that. Looking those up on the Internet, seeing what's about. Going to libraries, they're all opening again. And I know my own children Really enjoyed some of the sessions that run at libraries, reading sessions, and it allows children that element of choice in what they're doing. So not just what you've got at home, but other things you can find out there that perhaps we haven't heard of yet, new and upcoming authors that their friends have told them about, finding bookshops, finding libraries. You know, that's all really positive stuff.
0: And David, obviously we've been struggling over the last year because you know we haven't been able to operate our own library. I mean, is that something that you think's had an impact?
3: Yes, I think oh, the, the the library at Cargillfield, Everyone comments about it, don't they? You know, we've got the, the fire lit almost every day of the year. beanbags, sofas. It, it's a really um cozy environment, and I, I know we've we've got plans to slowly redevelop it. But children sitting in there uh, in their own time at break time, I think they've really missed just being able to browse books. I think that's really important. Pick up a book read the back, read a few pages, put it away and choose another one. That, that's something that really has been lacking over the last couple of terms, I think. And once the library reopens and becomes that beating heart of the school, I think we, I think all, we all notice um, what an important part it plays within school life.
0: I, well, I absolutely agree with that. And I don't think it, it can't come too soon for us being able to get that back up and running. You were alluding there to to some of the things that you think we do well at Cargafield. Are there other things?
3: I think there are. Our new head of English, uh, Nicola Lyle, she's restarted, reinstigated the book swap shop just before first lockdown and where children can bring in books that they've read and really enjoyed, bring them into school and take them around classrooms and children. Uh, take potluck and pick a book out that um, uh, someone else has donated uh, and just get people sharing and talking about books. I think that has been a really uh, positive way we've, we've helped to encourage book reading. And also in the last two or three years, we've had our book festival.
4: There's other remote technology that works really well. Sometimes parents say to me, I don't know what book they should be reading. And there are all kinds of websites now that you can just go into, put in the genre that you're interested in, the age of your child, and it will spit out a whole range of recommendations and sometimes allow you to read the first couple of pages and see if that's the kind of thing you're interested in. We also put together the list that our children have made of their favorite books that we share as well with our classes.
3: I think the best book lists are those that are actually designed by the children themselves, which are then regularly updated rather than the head of English and the department dictating what we think might be good books, which obviously invariably are, but children you'll find often have their finger on the pulse of new titles, new authors, far better than we
0: do. I absolutely agree with you. And Angeli, I wonder if you might finish off for us by giving us one final tip or something that you think is central to encouraging reading.
4: I think, um, that rereading old favourites is a really good thing. I mean, there might be a book that you once had that your children now have and they always return to it to read it. I think that's great. I think you should see reading as a very dynamic process and every time you engage with a book, you get something else out of it. So don't be frightened to let them revert to something you've read before. I think that can be a really positive experience.
0: Angeline and David, thank you so much for these thoughts. And I say... Long live reading at Cargafield. There's no question that learning to read and fostering that skill is fundamental to the learning of our children. Children access the majority of the curriculum through reading and language, and that has significant impact upon their outcomes. Recent research has suggested that reading for pleasure is more important for children's cognitive development than their parents' level of education. And it is a more powerful factor in life achievement than socioeconomic background. In a study completed in 2011, it was clear that 16-year-olds who choose to read books for pleasure outside of school are significantly more likely to secure managerial or professional jobs later in life. Don't despair, though, because you may have a child who isn't a natural bookworm, and that doesn't mean that they're set to fail. It's a great family joke amongst the Taylors that my younger brother managed to achieve a higher reading age on a diet of the Beano and the Argos catalogue. And neither did this stop him fostering a love of reading at a later age. He told me stories about being given copies Of Dickens and Jane Austen novels by his fellow travellers when he was um, out in Nepal after university. I often wonder what my mother would have made of that news if she'd lived to hear it. My colleagues have made a great deal of the culture of reading and having books around the house. The reading agency website quotes academic research that highlights the importance of just this thing. Having books in the home is associated with both reading enjoyment and confidence. They claim that of children who report having fewer than 10 books in their homes, 42% say they do not like reading, and only 32% say they're very confident readers. For children who report having over 200 books at home, only 12% say they do not like reading, and 73% consider themselves very confident readers. But remember that children don't just access books through reading them. There are many of the benefits of reading a good story that can be picked up by listening to an audiobook, and I've recently discovered the benefits of using excerpts from these as an alternative to reading around the class. When tested, I've been amazed by children's ability to recall what they've heard, films and television series are also a wonderful incentive for reading and picking up books when teaching english at senior school many parents would challenge my recommendation of their child studying english a level but mr taylor he or she never reads at home and yet it was in the careful close reading at school that they thrived albeit you often discovered that at some point in their life, these children had been drawn to books in one shape or form. Well, my parting shot on this subject, and it is a subject that I would be tempted to continue well beyond the natural boundaries of this podcast. My parting shot is a challenge to us all as parents. How often do we read? How often do our children see us reading? My experience is that intelligent and sophisticated adults read as a habit. And that is a message we can present to our children in our own behaviours. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you've enjoyed it or found any of it useful, please do share it with others and get in touch if there are other topics that you would like us to cover. Episode four of Cargafield Talks will tackle revision and preparing for exams or tests, and this should be available at the beginning of June. In the meantime, though, if you fancy sharing the insights and wisdom of other Cargafield teachers, why not dip into our teaching and learning blog? And There's a new entry for that every week, and you'll find it on our website. For now, though, goodbye and happy reading.